Welcome to the Serve Conscious Podcast, where people and companies can learn the inner game of service and tap into the fullest power of the service opportunity. So join me and let's master the service mindset together and up-level service the world over. And I encourage you to check out my partner, the Institute for Organizational Mindfulness, which is on a mission to help people and companies to incorporate mindfulness into their culture and raise performance, efficiency, general happiness, and everything that we want from going to work. So link is in the show notes for you to go deeper into that as well as the mindful service movement. All right, let's get started. Hey friends, welcome. So excited to share the upcoming discussion I had with you. I love this discussion uh, because they were just two really uh, warm, friendly, and very knowledgeable. And also because they are an extremely dynamic pairing of business consultant with commercial airline pilot. And they wrote a book called Dark Cockpit, which we're going to talk about. I love this because basically the core principles of leading a team as a pilot are transferred into how you can effectively lead a business with those principles. I love that because I've been doing similar things with the Serve Conscious podcast, taking the principles and the magic of the most lovely, enchanting hospitality experience you can have, taking those elements and seeing to what extent they can be transferred over to large-scale service-oriented organizations. I've been doing that for years with wonderful results. So seeing this kind of alchemy in other sectors is always really cool. You'll hear the story a bit later about how these two guys started working together and ultimately partnered on uh, this book project and also many business consultation projects. It's a really great story. But individually, let's get to know them since they are super impressive and interesting in their own right. Octavian is a business consultant. His focus seems to be a lot on communication, helping people and teams with public speaking, with proper training and dissemination of expertise within a company, and how to live richer, fuller lives alongside their professional lives, which I think is so key and maybe so undervalued as it concerns general work performance. And let's also call it life performance, right? The whole continuum functioning well. And Emil is a commercial airline pilot, a very accomplished one. You know, he's become like an Obi-Wan Kenobi of airline pilots who now trains other airline pilots. But his career has since diverged into general uh, management and business training. It's actually really exciting to talk to a commercial airline pilot. Like, I don't know about you guys, but that profession is pretty high on my list of, you know, people I want to talk to because what they do is just straight up intriguing. Like, I could sit down and just endlessly pick their brain with like, how do you do this sorts of questions? You know, like, how do you fly a metal tube, a fragile metal tube filled with people (laughs) through the sky and... Bear that responsibility on your shoulders. Those are the kinds of questions I'd want to lead with. However, you know, for the sake of professionalism, I kept it more relevant to uh, the themes in the book and, of course, the tools that all of the inspired service professionals in this community need to grow, thrive, and bring meaning and joy into their service lives. So yeah, I'm stoked to share this conversation. We get deep into the art of communication, and that, I think, is just 
everything when it comes to service success, no matter the sector. And speaking of sector, this is a very interesting sector of service, commercial airline sector. So so I also look forward to whatever pearls of wisdom you dig out from this particular service space so that you can find new ways of up-leveling your own service game. All right, so that's enough out of me. Without further ado, here are Emil and Octavian sharing the principles of their book, Dark Cockpit. I'm so excited to be joined by two very interesting and dynamic guests. I am here with Captain Emil Dobrovolsky and Octavian Pantish, and we are going to be talking today about all kinds of things as it relates to leadership, communication, and uh, generally uh, amplifying your the culture of your business. So thank you so much for being here, guys. So excited to uh, chat with you. Thank you for the invitation, Stefan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I just want to set the table here and talk about like your guys' dynamic. You know, you're from like two uh, seemingly um, different worlds. Um, One is a is a highly esteemed um, airline captain. Um, You fly planes and you you know you lead those crews. And Octavian, you're a business consultant. But um, both of you. Pardon me. Crossed over. How did that? Uh, how did that crossing over and collaboration happen? Well, it it was fun. Uh, I got to know Emil um, uh, through a colleague of ours who had a friend as a captain, and so we we met. And about uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, we invited him uh, in one of our team meetings in our in our consulting company because we thought, hey, it's cool to meet a captain to actually get to find out what's behind the scenes, what's behind that magic door of the cockpit, and um, what what he shared with the things that he shared with us were were not only interesting but also very useful to us. For instance, uh, he asked, he asked us, he says, hey, in a crisis, let's say the plane lands and there's an engine on fire, what do you think? is it that the captain has to do right away? And then we went at him with, oh, oh no, extinguish the fire. Said, no, um, uh, open the fire exits. No, and we listed a number of things. Said, no, 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 no. What do you do? Said, I do nothing. And we said, what do you mean you do nothing? He says, hey, uh, the system is built in such a way that the co-pilot is very busy doing all those things. The cabin crew in the back are very busy taking care of passengers, making sure everyone's fine, assisting with exit and everything. But the captain role is not to be super busy, but rather to keep an overview of what's going on so that they can make the best decision. And I remember a phrase that uh, he used then, uh, captains build their decision, which sounds a little strange, but what it means is I take into account everything that's going on, the wind direction, is it day or night, where the firefighter is going to come towards the plane and all the, and using all of that to make the better, the best decision. And so, hey, that's interesting because in business, If you think of entrepreneurs or managers, project managers in crisis, in those moments, they tend to be the busiest people in the room, right? They make all the phone calls, they talk to all the people, and they're busy, 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 but that's not good. The aviation version is better, keep everyone else busy, but make sure the captain stays uh, uh, even a, a little back a little bit. Sometimes they even pull their chair back so they have an overview of the cockpit and make the best decision. So we said, oh, that's interesting. So after a while, we invited uh, Emil to speak to some business audiences in some conferences for our customers. And every time the feedback was, whoa, this is interesting. 
And this is useful. This is fascinating. We didn't know this. It was fun to go behind the scenes to discover all the things that you do to prepare for a flight, to handle a crisis, how you communicate, how you lead. But it's also useful. So it's not just fascinating like, yeah, I learned about Jupiter and what's going on there. No, it's useful to us as leaders. So about two and a half years ago, I said, Emil, you have to write a book because there's a treasure of know-how in aviation. And of course, it's good that it's there and all the captains and all the crews use it and keep all the planes safe. But there's an audience of billions of people who could use that, um, uh, that treasure of know-how. And uh, he said, okay, I'll write it, but why don't we write it together? Because I had a, a best-seller, best-selling book written before, uh, which was addressed to the business audience. So we, we wrote it together. We first wrote it in, the, in our native language in Romanian. It came out in December 2019. It sold very, very well. The feedback was very good. Um, uh, and a very diverse group of people were buying the book. Managers were buying it for themselves. Themselves. Parents are buying it for their kids. Uh, people were buying it for their parents, for those who are afraid, afraid to fly, because in the book you discover all the things that are being done, and that kind of puts you at ease. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in good hands here. Uh, and then we, people told us, hey, this is an international message. You have to get this to English, uh, which is what we did. And the book just came out a couple of weeks ago, and it's doing very well in English too. So that's because in, in a nutshell, that's uh, uh, back to in the present times, more or less. Beautiful. Yeah. And that book is called Dark Cockpit. And we're going to leave a, a link to that in the show notes so you guys can check it out. And I believe the, there's a bonus chapter five, which I'll also leave available to download so you can get a, a taste of, uh, of the wisdom inside. So uh, definitely check that out. Our conversation is going to probably be anchored in that book and, and all that it has to share. So, uh, so Emil, how, how was it, uh, you know, just kind of like formulating all of these principles that I guess you've been kind of just doing uh, naturally and kind of adapting them to the business world? So first of all, I'm a professional pilot. I'm a, fly I'm a professional pilot since uh, 1992. I joined the Romanian National Carrier in 94. And ever since I have been uh, flying for them. And I, uh, I flew all over the world. I flew different type of airplanes. I'm an instructor for the last 20 years. I'm an instructor for the last 18 or so years. I'm an examiner, but most of the time I'm a storyteller. Um, so I have been telling stories to my pilots first and then to my friends, to my, uh, uh, let's say, uh, people around me. And every time they were fascinated about aviation because aviation is fascinating. It's a fascinating subject, but also which, uh, triggered my attention it was that uh, that uh, know-how that can be borrowed to other places in industry or to other industries not to just uh, aviation industry because every time i'm telling let's say in a, in a simulator room in a simulator briefing before the session i'm doing a briefing for the session and i have a um, a core part uh, with general things and when i i'm telling to my pilots the, to my pilots that they are uh, experts in communication they're they're very intrigued how how that come i said imagine imagine your your situation you're sitting in a dark room facing forward not seeing each other with the headsets on your head uh, with cross communication in that with noisy environment around you because the uh, the friction of air aircraft you can hear it in inside the aircraft so you are not seeing each other to validate the message and you are able to pass a message without mistake, very directly. 
So they, they, they agree with me, they are experts in communication. And we develop lots of other techniques to pass a message, to, to be sure that communication, because in aviation, communication is vital. I know that in everywhere, in your personal lives, in your professional life, you say, okay, we have to communicate better. What happened? Uh, we didn't communicate well. Uh, we have to improve our communication. But in aviation, these things are vital, are really, really important for us. So doing it every day, every flight, hour after hour, after maybe 10,000, 15,000 hours, a professional pilot can do something for other professions, for other industries. They can bring in, uh, I don't know, in business, they can bring uh, a know-how for leadership, which we train it. You cannot read and become a leader. You have to exercise it. And how to do it, there are simple rules, actually. Because you can ruin very easily the trust your team uh, put in you when you try to be a leader and you're too, I don't know, too, too strong, uh, too big boss for their eyes or you look down on somebody. So there are simple rules when you have to lead a team. And we exercise this in every day, in every cockpit you, you see, in every cockpit of every airplane flying above you. So interesting. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the, the things that popped out about the book was, uh, was the importance of communication. And, uh, you know, communication is so uh, big for me. And anyone that has new perspectives on communication, I always want to talk to because it's such a core competency uh, for service. And, you know, I've, I've explored everywhere and been trained in anywhere from like compassionate commun communication to, um, you know, the speaking, the listening side. Uh, but then like looking at the, the life of a, of a pilot, that's a whole different kind of communication. Um, it's a, uh, it's like it's remote communication, which kind of funny has become our reality now more and more getting good at communication without actually being in person yeah. and accept uh, so much more is at stake. Uh, and I was, I remember reading in the book that like, you know, um, if an, if there is an accident, it's not just mechanical failure. It might be a failure in communication. Can you talk more about that, about like what's actually um, the impact of communication and how to make sure you're communicating in a way that keeps everyone safe in this fragile little metal tube in the sky? Yeah, yeah exactly. My words. This is a metal tube without the pilots. It's just a piece of metal on the tarmac somewhere in a short, short off the runway. So um, for us, first of all, what we do in a cockpit is not something personal. So we are, uh, we are dealing, we are, we are really professionals and we are looking for the future to solve things. We are not complaining about the failure. When it happened, we are at 12,000 meters or 39,000 feet above the ground. So we're not uh, starting to complain about the aircraft, about the engineers. We are trained to solve things and doing that, uh, so in this mindset, the first thing which come out is a is the communication one. Uh, as I'm I'm telling to my students, uh, every SOP, every standard operation procedure starts with a standard call. So a standard call with it help us to to put each one in the to to define the task sharing will start immediately to define what will be the actions. Of course, we cannot cover, even in a cockpit, we can, you cannot cover with a standard call the whole uh, variety of uh, situations or uh, uh, special cases. So what you do is to try to, uh, to, first of all, to communicate impersonally, to talk about what uh, happened, to talk about facts, 
It's not, um, it's not personal. Let's say I was thinking exactly two, two, three days ago in the simulator, the, one of the pilots, he was so busy doing things and acting on a complex uh, situation in the, the full fly simulator. And the other one asked for a, for a maneuver. And the, the pilot, the busy pilot, he had like a, almost like a tunnel vision. So he was so focused on a point that he didn't hear. The other pilot raised his voice and asked again the, the action to be done, to be carried out. And the other one, he, he was older, the first one. He was higher in rank. And I noticed he, uh, he immediately performed the action and he excuses. So it's not personal. It's just the two pilots. And for, not, for what, one second, the older, higher in rank pilot, he didn't think, Come on, this young guy just yelled at me for the second time to raise the gear or to set the flaps. But he immediately, he realized he was so focused and uh, on a different page than the, the, the co-pilot, he immediately did uh, the action. So this is an example of how the communication should be direct without um, talking about facts and uh, looking for the future to solve uh, the special case. For, for, for instance, uh, one of the things that was fascinating to discover about aviation in these years where we've done, I've done research into that is that uh, every message has its feedback. And the feedback oftentimes is a repeat of the message. For instance, if the tower says maintain heading to 70, for instance, or whatever the number could be, the, uh, the captain does not say, okay, <laughs> because what does okay mean? Okay means I heard you, but I disagree. Okay means I heard you and I will do that. Okay means uh, I wasn't talking to you. I was okaying my co-pilot. It's, it's, not, it's unclear. So the, the response is uh, maintaining heading to 70, for instance. Now let's look, let's come back to business. What happens in many calls? A manager might be presenting something and at the end of the maybe 30 minutes presentation, maybe interesting, maybe boring, ton of slides, not too many slides, whatever. He might be the one who says, okay, um, that was it. Uh, any questions? And then still nothing from the audience. Did you understand? And then people might say, uh, uh, yes. Nobody is willing to say, no, excuse me. I, I risk appearing like I'm the village idiot. I did not understand. People just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, just, it was just message from one part to the other one without the feedback. Now, what could this mean in a specific uh, conversation when you want to delegate something to somebody, for instance? You can ask the employee that is being delegated the task, hey, could you just summarize over an email the three, four, five bullets? Not me to you again in writing as I've done in uh, speaking uh, half or half an hour, but I shared the message towards you. Now you give me the message back in three, four, five bullets first, because this way I can have the feedback. I, I will know how attentive you are, how clearly is there a need to emphasize something more. So that's, that's one thing about communication that is so um, nicely done in, in aviation. There's always a feedback. Or for instance, if the captain says landing gear down, again, the in business, sometimes you write an email and you don't get an answer, right? You send, a, here's the report I promised. And you get, sometimes you get no answer, maybe for a few days. You don't know. Did the guy receive the report? Did the, he received it, but he did not like it? I don't know. In, imagine how it would be like if the captain says landing gear down and the co-pilot, um, even if they might still do the, uh, the landing gear down, 
you can't even imagine that they would not say anything. They would, and they would. It would not be an okay boss or okay captain. It would be landing year down, confirmed three green or whatever the specific phrasing may be. And then the, the the first one who sent the message knows that the action is done. We can all go home, or we can move to the next subject. So in business, uh, because we're too busy. Uh, because uh, we don't think it's uh, necessary, feedback is forgotten, and sometimes the message is being not understood properly. And uh, it, maybe we discuss something internally, and one of us will share something to the customer, and it turns out that what one of us shared with the customer is not exactly what we talked about, but just a part of it. And the customer is unhappy, even though the intention was good. So uh, just a simple thing: ask for feedback and make sure you receive it. Or if you are the receiver of a message, make sure you repeat. If not the whole message because you cannot obviously okay you've dear boss yeah you talk for 30 minutes can i now talk for 30 minutes back exactly what I said? that would be too much right but you can send a quick email with two three points here's what i understood to do here's what i'm going to do uh, after that so these are a couple of things that uh, are really uh, special in aviation not because they're complex they're simple but they're being done every time. And that's that's one of the things that keeps all these planes in air and, and gets them landing at the right time in the right place, that it's simple things done properly every single time. And nobody says, ah, no, let's, let's forget about the feedback now because I clearly understood what you meant. No, let's just keep doing what we need to do. And one more, one more thing, if I may add, it wasn't like this at the beginning in aviation too. But uh, we have a word in aviation. The aviation history is written in blood. So we learn from our mistakes. And most of the times, you can hear in a CVR, in a cockpit voice recorder, you can hear uh, either uh, no feedback or you can hear uh, wrong or misled communications. So every time you will learn from out of that. So it was like this at the beginning. Even if the listener now or the viewers now they are not flying or they are not pilots. In their lives, in the professional lives, most of the time, if they lose a job, if they uh, drop a project, if they cross uh, the, um, the deadline, is it not important? It's like me, my project my, is my flight. I have a simple task to do from A to B to fly the passengers in a safely, a time and comfortable manner. So when you do that every time and you do it, uh, with a, it's a huge stake at stake at people's life and my life, of course. But uh, if you imagine your business or your personal life at this level, you'll perform well, even in communication, you will learn how to communicate better. Yeah, that's that's quite a medieval statement too. Like aviation history is written in blood, but I guess that's true. And do you guys actually study like like crashes? I imagine you would, and you study the the correspondence that happened around it and all the little steps that might have led to it. We we, we do actually um, in in one of the chapters of the book we we describe the worst um, aviation accident which happened in uh, Tenerife Islands. Uh, in 1977, where two Boeing 747 crashed on the runway, one belonging to Pan Am and one belonging to KLM. Uh, 583 people died that day. And we, we tell the story not because we want to scare people, not because we want to relieve the tragedy of so many lives being lost, but we, we do it just to 
uh, emphasize one super important message, and that is, we, and, and Stefan, this is one thing you, you mentioned at the beginning, when, when an accident happened, it's never just one cause. It's never just, oh, the pilot was uh, tired or, oh, it was raining or it was fog. It's never just one. And if, if, um, if our listeners or our viewers uh, even go on Wiki or go watch Discovery Channels, there are shows that, that and there are documentaries that describe that uh, there are many causes and the title of the chapter is 50 causes behind an accident because if you look at the files in most cases when all is being studied and all is being done several years after that accident uh, you can see that there are fifth between 50 to 70 either causes or coincidences that could have been present prevented or something that was there and uh, should not have been there for instance in the tenerife one of the details is that uh, in the tower when you listen to the to the people from the tower communicating to pilots it appears like you hear in the background that there's a soccer match now you know that soccer or football as it calls in your is very popular there's okay so does it mean there was a match on radio behind them appear apparently yes does it mean that they were not focused 100 on the communication most likely yes because their favorite team was winning or even worse was losing and that did that cause the accident no that did not cause the accident. but that, that is just one of the several causes or coincidences that was there and what's the learning for us well if you want to have a successful project again it will not depend only on the quality of your slides or only on how how passionate you are about your project or only on do you whether or not you have the best people in the team no it will depend on having 50 people 50 things not go wrong but go right so take care of all the details uh, that are because if if failure is has 50 causes then success has to have about 50 or 70 or if not more reasons that will generate that so um studying accidents it's 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 not that fun but there's so much learning and one good about one good thing about aviation is that they learn they quickly learn if something happens today uh, on a runway, maybe the uh, the plane doesn't lie and there's an accident. Within 24 hours, the whole aviation world knows about it. Not in order to criticize the pilot who was wrong, no, but in order to learn from it. So the operating company learns about it within minutes. Then the producer of the plane, whether it's Airbus or Boeing or one of the other ones, they'll learn about what's, what was going on because, hey, maybe there was a fault uh, with, our, with, our, with our planes. The other pilots who fly that plane, they learn about it. And then Emil mentioned, and we might talk about this um, um, as, as, we, as we continue our discussion, all pilots have to be in simulators several times a year. And if an accident happens, okay, let's play that. Let, let's reconstitute all the context and let's see what went wrong and let's see what could we do. So there's a lot of learning. Uh, think of, for instance, the uh, Boeing 737 MAX accident, right? A couple of years ago, one, one crashed. It was a big alarm signal. When the second one crashed, apparently for the same reason, literally within 24 hours, the whole fleet was, was grounded, right? Because we learned from one. But if, if it happens a second, then 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 it's big, and and they fixed it. Credit to Boeing and everybody and to everybody who was involved. They fixed it. Everything's fine now. So there's a lot of learning that's going on. And again, if we look in companies, sometimes what happens is that I'm the project manager for a 
an event or for a project that we're running and uh, we do some things well, we, some things were not entirely well. And maybe I make a note, maybe I don't. Maybe I share with my colleagues, maybe I don't, who knows. But uh, in one year from now, when that project needs to be done again, I'm not there anymore. Maybe I got promoted or maybe I left my work. For and the risk is that the same project is being run again and it has the, sec the same mistakes. Now that really does not happen in aviation and there's a huge learning. If we did something wrong, okay, it happens, but let's make sure that we learn from it, not in order to criticize the people involved. No, we'll, we'll deal with that, no worries. But in order for us to prevent the same things happening in the future. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, use, use those mistakes. And exactly. I, you know, it's hard to look at mistakes um, and I think people struggle with that, but that's always the, the biggest, uh, treasures are in there right um yeah yeah, yeah. wow and, so, and if uh, i can comment you 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 learn more from mistakes than you learn from successes right because when you when you achieved uh, the targets for the quarter we tend to say oh i'm great we're great we're a great company thank you everybody but who knows maybe we achieved the target because there was an, an increased need for on the market for our product for instance right um we should not yeah but when we make a mistake uh, there is some learning there and we can learn from both actually. Look guys, when I started aviation, it was a completely different paradigm. When you did a mistake, you were called stupid, like almost like in your face because you did a mistake. So you, you feel the shame, you feel the blame, you, instead of you concentrating and learning more at the first steps in the new and complex environment, because you were hired in a new place, you fly this machine, which is complex and complicated, and you're in different environment that you're used to. So this was the paradigm I was uh, trained to, into. Nowadays, you force the mistake in the simulator when you train a, pi a, a pilot, and there's no non-punishment environment, and you don't blame it, but you, if they make a mistake, they will always remember it. And you, you followed the, this, um, this kind of uh, forcing sometimes a mistake in an exercise in the simulator because like this they will never forget it and if god forbid will happen in a real life they are prepared to do it to do it right and actually you know this um this paradigm of leadership has been shifting you know across industries from that kind of traditional i'm gonna use the word medieval again of like whip cracking punishment <laughs> criticism you know and all of that um i've i've even, I mean, even modern times, places are like that. I've worked places like that. And, um, you know, it, there's this, there's this belief that it's more effective and that it really pushes people to be better. And, and I actually believed that for a while. And I managed like that for a while, uh, in my industry. Um, you know, but things are changing and people have found that, you know, in, in many companies, um, you can actually push people to be better through, through, I, I guess, less of that. Um, and even in high stakes situations, like, like, you know, flying a plane where you have lives at risk, um, yeah. Emil, as it, and Emil and Octavian, as, is it, is it changing now where it's like, it's better to be a more supportive, uh, patient and understanding leader? It changed a long time ago. It, it's called CRM, Crew Resourcement Management. So this kind of, uh, when I joined aviation, the captain was a guy who was like five meters tall and the rest of the crew were very small people, you know? And the captain was a big guy, like a head of a family, like a medieval times, as you said before. And of course, he accepted no feedback, which... Uh, it's uh, wrong. It's non-intuitive, but it's wrong because if somebody 
with you in a cockpit that can tell you that you're doing something wrong, is giving you a feedback. It's only making your project better. You fly better when you have somebody next to you, which is monitoring your actions and is trained to do so. Nowadays, not... Uh, the captain is not uh, anymore five meters, is still a little bit higher than the co-pilot. But the co-pilots, the first officers, are encouraged to, to give feedback and the captains are obliged to answer to those feedbacks and or to, uh, to answer to concerns that are raised by uh, co-pilots or by first officers. Why? Because if your project is your flight and you accept um, um, feedback from your subordinates, it's it's giving you time to look to other things. You have a better overview, and uh, ultimately your your project or your result is better. You know, it's non-intuitive, but if you accept feedback from your co-pilot, and we said in aviation we raise our co-pilots because we want to know that we have next to us a professional who's able to give me feedback. It doesn't matter how old I am. It doesn't matter how experienced I am, how many times he saw me in the simulator. If I'm doing a mistake in the cockpit, I'm expecting him to tell me, to, to tell me so, helping me to fly better. Yeah, one, one change in business that is happening now as we speak with, uh, because of COVID, because of the pandemic, is that the bosses and their people are no longer 100% in the office in the same place. And um, um, for managers, this is a, a stress because, hey, I, I'm not sure what they're doing. Uh, I, I can't see them all day. Are they working? Are they not working? I still want to kind of control them, but I cannot, for instance. So there, the, the shift needs to be from controlling input to controlling output. It doesn't really matter if I see them and what, what they're doing every single minute. What matters is do they get the job done, for instance. And also, if I have as a leader the old mindset from aviation where the captain knows everything, that in these, in these times which are unprecedented with this pandemic, I cannot be expected to have all the answers. But if I don't even ask my people, hey, what do you think we should do? Uh, now everybody talks about the recovery of the, uh, and the, maybe a boom um, in economic and everything. Okay, how could we best take advantage of that? If I'm not prepared to ask and listen to the ideas, but only keep having the assumption that I should know all the answers, then uh, the, the results will not be good. So the leader today needs to, uh, encourage contribution, needs to uh, be willing to ask more questions and be willing to accept that he or she is not uh, uh, right all the time or is cannot be expected at least to have all the answers all the time. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, kind of a blessing, you know, from from uh, a lot of these these pressures to kind of uh, make things more, more inclusive, more collective and everyone having a voice because... Uh, yeah. You know, it just seems to be more effective. Um, and actually, I want to go back and talk about this kind of like this like leadership role, um, you know, in, in the cockpit, because um, what you said was very interesting about the leader doing less. And I want to like dive more into that. And, uh, you know, I guess when the leader do, does less, he or she allows their people to do more and kind of really blossom as people. Um, and, and really kind of maybe become like smarter <laughs> employees too. Cause I mean, I know, and I've been in actually leadership positions where I, I was like the pace setting leader. I was doing yeah. the most 
try and catch up. I'm setting the example, you know, and um, yeah, it turned out not to be effective. And uh, I turned out to just kind of crash and burn and everyone else just kind of didn't have any response, sense of responsibility or ownership or accountability. And um, when I, and I, this idea of a leader just kind of being like the stable still figure that's kind of like looking over and organizing more uh, makes me think a lot about mindful leadership, which I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, it's just the leader being more collected, more reflective, and not just the person running the fastest. So uh, yeah, I want to talk about, uh, do you want to talk more about like how, how a leader can cultivate those qualities if maybe their first impulse is to just be the doer and the fixer? Uh, we call it the orchestra pilot, you know, these kind of pilots, they are, we train them because when you have a, uh, an upgrade from a first officer position to the captain position is just half a meter, maybe one meter and a half away from your seat to the, the other side of the, of the cockpit. But it's a huge, huge uh, and different mindset because uh, when you're a leader, you, don't, uh, you have to, to step back to have a better overview and to, to build your decision because sometimes you are experienced and sometimes you have uh, maybe met the same conditions before or the same, uh, um, I don't know, malfunction or you, you were in the same situation and you know what to do. You know exactly what to do. But now we are trained and we train our captains to ask the first officer so the decision to be built together so they, they gather all the information. The captain always and will have the, the authority and will have the responsibility to take the decision itself, himself or herself. But he's asking the co-pilot and they, are, they come with a long-term decision together in the cockpit. And you have to imagine that the cockpit is not stable. It flies with, I don't know, 450, 500 miles per hour. So they have to, to think fast. But they, they take time, the captains are trained to take time to, to build a decision together with the colleague. And when you do this, your colleague becomes better. Because when I'm flying with a very unexperienced co-pilot, I'm always asking him for, for uh, what he thinks about this, what will be his decision or her decision. And sometimes, believe it or not, he has a better opinion than myself and I will embrace it immediately. And I will not just do that will go, will divert to the place he said, or he said, because it was a better, a better idea, a better decision. And then immediately I spread the word. Look, I was in a flight with this young co-pilot and he had a better idea than me and we follow it. He will become a great captain. And doing this, first of all, people in your profession will think, what about, what about you? I'm, they, they know me already. And they know the captains already. They know that they, they work very hard to reach this position. It's not um, a downfall or something when you accept, then you come in 100, maybe in, in a thousand times with a better solution from your colleague, which is any, more unexpressed than you. Yeah. And actually, if, if our listeners um, um, wonder, okay, so where do I start? I have a team. Uh, maybe they have they run a service team. So I have a team of 10 people and we're servicing customers all day long. Where do I start? It starts with how you make your people feel, how you make the people in your team feel. If you make them feel small, they will not like it and the, the, they will leave. And, and the worst thing is that the best 
of them will leave first, right? Because they say, no, this is not for me. I want to be in an environment where I'm I'm invited to contribute, where I can contribute, right? And you'll end up with the, not, let's not call them the worst, but let's call them the, the, uh, the most unfit for their job. So it's how you make them feel. For instance, in a call, if somebody has a question, yeah, don't say, ah, or has an idea. Don't say, ah, we've tried it before. It didn't, it didn't work seven years ago. Before you were here, we tried it. It's, it didn't work. It will not work. Out. But rather, hey, what if we do build on that idea? Thank you very much for contributing. Congratulate them for contributing and, and try to build on that. If you know for a fact it won't work because of A and B and C, don't kill the person. Just say, hey, if we do this, A and B and C will happen, which is not good for the customer. And follow up with, Please reflect more on the idea because I think there's something good in there. Take into account how we can avoid ABC and, and give me a call tomorrow. Or give me a call the day after tomorrow and I'm, I'll, I'll think about that too and I'm sure we can make something work from here. So make them feel welcome in the team. Make them, and please notice in, in, um, in aviation, uh, in the crew, nobody is extra. If they need three people as a cabin crew, they will have three people. They will not have four or five or 10. If it's a long haul flight, wide body, whatever, if they need 12, they will have 12, not 11, not 15. What does it mean? It means if we have these people, it means we need them, right? We need them to do some tasks, but we need their contribution, their input, their insights from where they are. They can contribute to that. And the same mindset should be in a team. If you, if you are lucky enough to lead a team of 10 people, um, use them, use their, uh, the, their experience and let them, for instance, if it's a service situation, if they come with, hey, the customer has a complaint and they're saying this was not okay. And uh, don't, you make the decision. Ask them to make what's the best decision in favor of the customer in them because they know more about that customer. Maybe they have met that customer for uh, three, four, five times in the last couple of weeks if you're in a hotel or if they're a usual restaurant customer or something. Let them make the decision and support them in front of your own bosses, for instance. Yeah. And I think doing that, I mean, a lot of people say it like requires like letting go of the ego and, you know, just yes. being, being a servant leader, serving your team. And that yes. is true. But I also think it actually is a strong leadership skill. You look strong and not a lot of people would think that, but I think being able to identify that somebody had a good idea, an idea better than yours, even, I think that's a leadership quality I want rather than someone that has all the ideas has all the answers or someone that resists answers that are actually better than theirs. I think that's actually a weak leadership, even though on the surface it might seem strong because you know, I'm in charge, right? Here's an example. Here's an example and two ways to handle it. Speaking of Emil's approach about captains, let's say you're in a call with your team, you present something and one person asks the questions about, let's call it X, and you answer the question. Okay, fine. And then uh, half an hour later into the meeting, Someone else in the team asked the same question about X, right? Which means maybe they were not paying attention initially. They were video on, they were mute, they were checking emails, they were. Now, in that moment, you have at least two approaches, right? One approach could, would be to say, hey, Peter, or whoever's asking, uh, uh, this question was asked half an hour ago, and I, and I answered the question. Uh, please pay more attention next time, and please check the minutes of the meeting. And so. But that's, that's not the best way. The best way is, to answer the question as if it was asked now for the first time and do it nicely, do it politely, because everybody else in the room will know that the 
question was asked before. And they would have been tempted to say, oh, come on, Peter, this question was asked, you're wasting everyone's time. But if they see you being calm and answering in a calm way and in a rational way to that person, they will say about you as a leader, oh, my God, I, I could not have done that. I, I would have exploded by now. But look at him or her, how calm they're able to stay. And you get a plus in their mind for that as a leader. Look, look, at the end of the day, for the guys or for, let's say, the leaders, they have a big ego. If they think this way, that at the end of the day, they will gather all the, um, how to say, the, the, pri the whole prize. Because when I'm flying and I'm behaving as a, um, as a leader, the way I told you, um, at the end of the day, they know this was my flight. This was Captain Zdobrovolsky's flight. Because uh, the name, the law is like this. I can take the, the aircraft when I sign it to the release and I accept the aircraft. It's mine, like, okay? So at the end of the day, if they think like this, they can, they can accept that it, they can be more open to, to people's feedback. They can help people to grow. Because at the end of the day, they will gather and they will be winning the prize, okay, at the end, if they want to think like this. Yeah. And let me just um, uh, remind our listeners, uh, you're welcome to read the chapter five of the book, which uh, Stefan will be sharing with you. And that the, the title of that chapter is A New Crew Every Day. Because what happens in aviation is that, uh, especially the, the, bigger the, the bigger the airline, the, the more rarely you get to fly with the same people, but still you're the captain. So everything we talked about in the last minutes or so, make sure how you make them feel, uh, be open to their ideas. How do you build that environment very, very fast when you fly with them the first time or when you have not flown with them for one year or two years or since before COVID or whatever? And you'll find five uh, solutions in that chapter that you can also apply in your own role as a leader or a professional. So be sure to uh, find, the, find the chapter, download and read it. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. That really jumped out at me because, you know, I come from, like a lot of us come from this in, this industry of a relatively stable day-to-day -day culture, right? There's turnover, but even in high turnover businesses, you're still dealing with a lot more of a stable team than in a situation like this in aviation, right? Like, like how do you actually do that? Like, could you give people a teaser? Because most companies put so much energy and resources into creating this delicate ecosystem of a culture. And, uh, you know, that would be shattered by just constantly having new people in front of you all day. So, so what do you do to kind of, I guess it's like on the fly culture building, yeah. right? Let, let me just share oh. one and then I'll give the stage to Emil. Let me, let me share one that he, maybe he's too polite to share. So the number one tip there is, Come prepared. If it's a meeting, if it's a briefing, if you're meeting the customer, you have to be prepared. If you're not prepared, that's a very bad first impression. If you're meeting a customer, let's say you work in a bank and they say, hey, uh, do you have this new card I hear? Uh, and, and you go, uh, excuse me, which card? Well, I saw in social media, you're advertising that card. Uh, oh, I don't know about it. It's done. It, it, you, it's, of course, you can still bounce back, but why would you have to do that rather than be prepared? What Emil uh, will might not tell you because he's very polite is that he always makes a point to arrive in the briefing room way before the other ones. So uh, the role of the briefing will be to study the map and the destination and all the other things that he might share more, but he doesn't discover those documents 
together with the other ones. He makes sure that he's there on time. He takes time from his own time, uh, leave home early, leave family earlier, arrive in time at the airport, arrive calm. And by the time the crew come into the briefing room, he's prepared to that. So that's that's something that all of us can do if we want to, right? It's, if some people say, yeah, I'm not an experienced leader yet. Okay, maybe we, we all gain experience as we go, but there's one thing that we can do. Be prepared. If you're making a presentation, be sure that you know everything you present, but also on this, because they might have questions of, of what's not on the slide. You cannot say, I don't know. You can say, I don't know, once or twice, but not three or four times, because then that, that ruins everything. Or when you meet the colleagues or whatever, be, take, make it a point to get to know something about them, something nice, something interesting, and ask about their family, name of the kids, whatever it is. So to sum it up in one word, which is something that all of us could do, is make sure you're prepared. Make sure you do your job right. That's the first step. If, if that's not done well, the rest, okay. But if that's if this is done well, you start with a plus in their eyes, whoever they may be, uh, your people or your bosses or customers. If you're prepared, that's a plus. Excellent. No, no. When the first time when you meet the... Um, your new crew, because it's a challenging situation for us, for pilots. We are, in my company, we're not so many, but in, in uh, bigger companies, they may not fly together for a year. They see each other maybe for this flight and they will never see them again in a year. And of course, you know who's the captain by their four stripes on their shoulders. But this is not enough to accept uh, the, that guy or that person uh, as a leader. So as to be prepared, of course, because otherwise what to do in front of them, uh, we are going today and you're looking on your papers, you don't know where to go, how's the weather, but uh, this is a, just a small amount because the, the trick I'm doing is that I, I give them full credit, as Octavian said before, if they are in my crew, it's their place there. There's no person in plus, okay, in my aircraft. So if something happens, after we close the door and we fly with this machine of, I don't know, 164 tons at uh, 1,000 kilometers per hour, 12,000 meters or 39,000 feet, the things that are happening in that metal tube with wings, we, the, the crew will solve it. So this, uh, I, will, I will start with this simple trick. When I'm doing the briefing, when I'm leading a team, is that I think about myself that I am okay, I'm trained, and I'm willing to share my experience. And I think about them, they're okay. They're trained professionals, they're my colleagues, and they, I, I gave them full support and full credit from the beginning. Of course, the, the things are not perfect all the time. Uh, sometimes there's um, uh, maybe some miscommunication between the cabin crew and the cockpit crew, and this may, might lead to accidents, of course. But these things... When you start the briefing with your crew, you have to show them who's the leader. You have to show them uh, that they, you, you give them, the leader give, gives them full credit for the flight, for the mission. And you have to be careful that they know what, uh, their, uh, what the, the mission, their mission is. Okay? Because if you have a perfect train, a trained uh, couple of pilots in the cockpit, if you have the best airplanes, the brand new ones, and you have a, I don't know, the person who invite uh, with an angry face or he's not uh, assertive with the passengers, this will hurt your project, your flight. 
at the end of the day, you go home and the flight is not perfect because some passengers were not happy because of, the, of your purser. And most of the times, it's not just the purser uh, guilt. It's also the captain's guilt because during the briefing, he didn't put the whole crew on the same page, on the same aircraft, doing the same mission. When something like this happened to me, I always blame myself first. I said, look, it was my mistake because this guy or this lady, they didn't, un they didn't understand what was the mission today. And they did something with a passenger, there was a report or something, there were reports. So my, 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 the first guilt was mine. As a captain, as a leader, I should do better to explain to my crew what's the mission and what's the purpose of, the, our, of our presence in the aircraft. Wow. Yeah. The lost art of the briefing. Um, I really, I think it's a good time uh, to maybe talk about that as we kind of wind our conversation to, to a close. Cause I think, you know, I come from the hospitality industry, managing bars and restaurants. And, um, and I found that in any service industry, like briefings are so important, but I really don't think that time and space is being taken full advantage of by the leaders. And I, I don't think enough information is given. So everyone feels on the same page. And I don't think the right the right tone is set or the right purpose is sort of given to the day um, by the leader. So um, I think you kind of reminding us of like the, the importance and value of the briefing for everything and, and kind of everything kind of goes back to that. And you think, Oh, a passenger's mad about something. That's because the steward didn't bring them peanuts fast enough. But, mm -hmm. um, but you're actually having accountability for that. Like in the briefing, we could have prepared for something like that. Right. Yeah, correct. Correct. Because Sometimes it's very easy to see leaders saying, and I, I, I was uh, occupying some uh, managerial jobs in my company, and every I saw, I saw pilots coming into my office to explain what happened, and they would say, "No, it's not me. I was in the, in my cockpit flying, doing my job. Uh, it happened behind me." Yeah, but it's part of your crew. You should take uh, uh, responsibility. You're accountable for your flight from uh, point A to point B. And before point A, there's this briefing. And the briefing is not just, uh, uh, is not set to lose time. We talk about aircraft. We talk about weather en route. We talk about possible diversion if something like this, is, the situation requires. But we, all, we also have to talk um, to be assertive to each other, to talk about what's, what's our mission there. If you do like this and everybody understands which is um, the purpose of their presence in the aircraft, because this is not easy to understand. Otherwise, just stay home. If you don't like children, don't become a teacher. You know, If you hate flying or you hate persons, you don't like people, stay home. Don't be a, don't be a flight attendant. You know, It's very simple. But uh, I noticed along my 20 years of career in Tarom that sometimes people, they don't understand the purpose of their presence in the aircraft. And it's your role as a leader to discover that and to take advantage of your experience, to be open and assertive, to, to bring the people on the same page. Yeah. If, if, I, if I may, I think what Emil is um, uh, emphasizing here is that you're the captain and, and he's emphasizing something that is useful for all of us. You're the captain. The expectation from you is not only that you're able to pilot the plane. 
you have to be able to lead the team. So if you're leading a team of IT people, for instance, you're a support office or something, the expectation from you is not only that you are the best IT specialist in the world. No, the expectation is that you have to know something about the IT, you have to be good enough, but you have to be able to place the other ones in their best uh, shape in front of people. You have to be able to communicate with them, make them feel good, grow them, make sure that they are understood in that. If you're only the good specialist, it doesn't mean you're the best leader. And this is why many companies uh, lose a great specialist when they promote them to, to, an, to, a, to a leadership position and they gain an average leader. Maybe it's best if you're so passionate about just piloting Yeah, in, in, in aircraft. You can be, hey, be a pilot in, uh, in the Marines or in aviation, for instance, because then you don't need to uh, inspire a crew of 12 people. You're just given the mission. You have to fly this mission to oversee whatever and come back and then that's it. So it's a, it's, it's a true question about what your role is and what does it mean truly mean uh, to be in that role? Is it just about A? In most cases, it's not just about A, it's also about B and C. And you have to identify what B and C is and make sure that everybody in your team understands what, what is expected of them too. For instance, the crew, yes, you're there for the safety uh, of the passengers first and foremost, yeah. But you're also there to, uh, to provide a good service to them over the three hours, five hours, nine hours of the flight too. If you only do the safety, but you're impolite, you're arrogant, you're whatever, you're criticizing them. I, I think we've we've seen, unfortunately, situations like that. Then, then it's 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 not a good place to be. Yeah, that's huge. Gosh, I wish we had another hour to talk about <laughs> the uh, the art <laughs> service on an airplane. You know, and like the you know, if there's ever a place for like to help make people feel better, it's when they're flying. I mean, it's one of the really? least comfortable like service environments um, in terms of customer service. I mean, in a restaurant, it's easy to be at ease, you know, and enjoy yeah. your food. Even yeah. on the, I'd rather be on the phone with my cell phone company for an hour than in a plane, right? It's just the <laughs> seats are tight. You don't know what's going to happen. You're vulnerable. Um, and, and those, those um, that, that presence that Emil was talking about is everything. But, you know, I find service can be unbelievably lacking and feeling like mechanical and assembly line-like yeah. often yeah. on a plane. But, uh, but you know, like a, a really kind, caring stewardess can really change, change the tone of everything. Though. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Steward or stewardess. Sorry, not to gender that too yeah, much. Yeah. Any, any, anybody. It's, it's really about, it's really, in terms of aviation is also a people business. Like, like it's a service business. You're there to make people uh, fly comfortably from, from point A to point B. Yeah, well, um, I want to wrap things up now. Some takeaways for me from this was like looking at, um, you know, I kind of know that my vague understanding of airplanes is that there's a lot of redundancy built into like the mechanics of an airplane. One piece of equipment fails, another switch is on. But you're also talking about redundancy in communication too. And this idea that like nothing can be assumed, I think is just so yeah. important. Like yeah. that, that importance of giving, of repeating back the end of what someone says. I do that. And I think it's so important for anyone in the service industry to proactively do that especially for like, if there's a conflict, if there's a problem, if you repeat back what someone says, it's amazing. You, you haven't even solved their problem yet. They're feeling better because everyone wants to be heard and understood. And, uh, and you can't always be, you can't always assume that everyone is understood or feels understood. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was, that was huge for me. I think it's so valuable for people today since they are really trying to 
turn up their communication game because there, there are more challenges now with a lot of remote communication. So yeah, thank you so much for that. And I will, I'll, I'll give you guys now a chance if there's anything else you'd like to talk about in, in our remaining time here. Uh, let me let me just uh, say what the uh, in just thirty seconds what the title of the book means. So the title of the book is Dark Cockpit, which actually is it's a, it's a good uh, thing. It's an aviation term. It means that when you're flying, there's no warning light, there's no danger light, there's no nothing. It, the cockpit is dark, meaning it only has the ambient lights, and and that's pretty much it. And it's the goal for every flight. How was your flight today? Oh, it was dark cockpit all the way to Chicago or to Frankfurt or wherever it was. And we chose this title because because that's what we want in our lives, don't we, right? We want dark cockpit flying. We want our projects to be successful. We want our jobs to be successful. We want our clients to be happy. We want things around us. And um, um, uh, the main message is that dark cockpit is not something that, okay, you're lucky to have. It takes a lot of work. It takes getting a number of things uh, done well from the beginning and in due time. You, there, there are no shortcuts. Uh, and that's one of the messages for, for all of us. There's many things that have to be done in, in the right way uh, in aviation. But if they are, and in, they are, the plane will be fine. Make sure we do, let's make sure that we do the same, uh, we have the same high standards in everything we do. And then the customer will be happy and the boss will be happy, shareholder, family, everybody will be happy. I see a lot of lights on behind you, Emil. Is everything okay in that cockpit? That's not a dark <laughs> yeah, cockpit. Yeah, that's that's actually a dark cockpit. This oh, okay. is a dark cockpit. Okay. So uh, to to uh, to put more in the, this about the dark cockpit concept is uh, that uh, in our lives we accept it for so many times, and sometimes we are circling the same situation when we have not a dark cockpit, but we have a Christmas cockpit with lights all over, with warning lights, caution number lights, and you have uh, extra consumption uh, blue lights, and you have off system, put on off white lights, and we are coping with this every day. And we wonder why our performance is dropping, why we are tired, why we are getting sick, why are the people hate us, because we are flying in a, in a, in a the toxic environment, when instead of addressing each alerts or to, to press the buttons at the proper time to have a dark cockpit, we're flying in the Christmas cockpit, you know? So what I wish for, your, uh, for the people listening to us or watching us is to, to fly their careers and their lives in dark cockpit and to read the book. I'm waiting for feedback and we are waiting for feedback on our emails about the dark cockpit uh, book. Excellent. Yeah, guys, check out that book if you would like to uh, learn uh, fascinating and uh, helpful and inspiring new perspectives on, on business leadership. And as well, um, just dive into the fascinating world of aviation. And uh, I know so many people that just that's just naturally just so interesting for them. So it's really cool to see these two worlds together. So definitely check that out. Links are in the show notes, guys. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, such a pleasure having you on here. Uh, you have a great day. Thank you, Stefan. <laughs> thank you so much, friends. Once again, check out the show notes if you want to get deeper into the work of Octavian Pantish and Emil Dobrovolsky and check out the Serve Conscious homepage, www.serveconscious.com to get on the mailing list, be part of the community, get a bunch of awesome stuff sent to your inbox. All right, that's it. Thanks so much. Have a great day.